What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Stuff Podcast, episode number 176. We got a lot to talk about in this episode. Maybe not the greatest stuff, but we do have to talk about it. Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo, spring training, the new relievers, the new players. What's going on with this team? A little bit of WBC talk. Talk about Amazing Day, which is Amazing Day, which is coming up this weekend. A lot of baseball to talk about. You guys know this is the place to do it if you're a Mets fan. Make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this podcast, go to the New York Mets channel. You'll be able to find it there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. James, how are we doing out in New York while I'm still in beautiful Miami? It's been awful. I got strep throat last week. It was oh. so miserable. Having strep throat like as a single adult in New York City is the, the absolute loneliest place in the universe. I had a fever for days. My throat, I couldn't like swallow or eat anything. I had to work all the days because Mojo launched like March Madness stuff and there was just no one else who could do the stuff that I was doing. And it was a miserable couple of days coming off of <laughs> off of the Edmund Diaz thing on Wednesday. Went to urgent care on Thursday and have been sick. It was sick since Sunday. It was terrible. Oh, man, I'm not to rub salt in the wound, but I've had a great time down in Florida. It's been yeah, sunny. Yeah. It's been 80 degrees every single day. I'm getting a nice little tan in. I've been going to the horse track. Shout out to my boy, Jack Abrams, big Met fan, old roommate. He's a horse trainer down here at Gulfstream. He's won the two races that I've been at back to back. So I'm a good luck charm. We've we've had a great time down there. Horse racing's fun. If you haven't been to a track, I highly suggest it. Uh, watching some World Baseball Classic. It's It's been a good trip for me. And it's coming down to an end here. On Monday, we have... Two games left. I have the semifinals today against Japan and Mexico, and then the finals with USA, hopefully against Japan, which I would really love to see that matchup. I have a fun question for you. Okay, hit me. What was your least fun moment of the last week at the World Baseball Classic? No, that's not a fun question. I don't know if fun question is the way I'd phrase that. I would say agonizing question more so. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Edwin Diaz getting hurt at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, from the celebration after Puerto Rico beat Dominican Republic to move on to the quarterfinals in the WBC. You guys know what went on. You saw the videos. You saw the clips. You saw everything. I was there live in person, and I did not know what to do. Uh, I was I was like filming myself for a vlog because I was getting ready for the Puerto Rico-Dominican game of like making a YouTube video for it. Had the camera on my face. All of a sudden, you see it just like turn white. I'm like, oh, my God someone's down. Please don't be Edwin Diaz. Please don't be Francisco Lindor, the two guys on the Mets that matter the most. And then I saw Edwin sitting on the ground. I thought he passed out at first. I was like, oh my God, he, he fainted. Like the, the moment was too big. He fainted. What's going on? No one seems to care. And then when they started rushing people over, I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then the text started flying in. Obviously he tore his, what is it called? Patellar tendon in his knee? Patellar tendon, yeah. Yeah, brutal, brutal. Uh, sucks, really, really sucks for the Mets. Really sucks for Edwin Diaz, too, because the dude's the best closer in baseball, has been the best closer in baseball for probably the last two years now, and has really just seems like figured it out and has been hot and has been great, and to just kind of get your season taken away, like that's just, just awful. Yeah, I'd probably even go as far as say one of the best closers in the history of baseball, just the five-year sample he's put together besides when MLB screwed up the ball on him, but – it was it was it was totally surreal to watch it on TV. I was kind of like distracted. It was like it was by the time they came in, it was pretty late at night. Like we're I'm really realizing how much of a difference the pitch clock makes week after week watching the World Baseball Classic because of how like a four hour, eighteen minute game that ends at like almost eleven o'clock at night. I'm like, oh my God, this is really dragging out. But I saw the celebration going on. I was like talking on the phone with a friend. I was kind of like rolling over, leaning. It was again, it was late. And all of a sudden I saw Kike Hernandez like flush. And I was like, I thought Kike Hernandez was Puerto Rican, not Dominican. Why is he upset right now? And then they zoomed out. I was like, oh no, 
and I saw Evan on the ground, like half like doing that weird like shock smile. And then the moment I think every every Mets fan, every baseball fan knew something was dr- dramatically wrong was when uh Edwin's brother Alexis was bawling, was sobbing. Usually, when your blood, your brother starts crying, you know that something is tr- something is seriously seriously wrong. And it just from that moment it became kind of this unbelievable like fallout firestorm of chaos Mets fans baseball fans everyone yeah a lot of anti WBC rhetoric going around Twitter and social media to which I will not stand for uh obviously it's it's awful what happened to Edwin and I wish it didn't happen I think that's that's pretty obvious I don't even think I need to say that but is that the WBC's fault like probably not probably not I don't know I will say the the messed up medical correspondent Shiler boy Nick Larue he works in <laughs> he works in a Works in a strength. He's a strength coach for the Houston Astros. That's not his official title. His official title is much more scientific than that. But he'll, he'll he likes he liked the brolic name. He I got the word for I got the scoop from him right after just about patellar tendons in general. He said one, one of the thickest tendons in the whole body. Hard thing to snap. And two, usually if it were to happen from such a, a dull action like that, like jumping up and down, it must have been not in good shape anyway. Yeah. So, so I we mean, can yeah, there's some solace that it wasn't like because of the WBC this happened. It just happened during WBC. But also, I will I will put my hand up. When this happened, I was very mad at the WBC. I was tweeting out a depression storm that night. I was really upset. I lost a couple of followers, but also gained a couple. I mean, it was it was just I, I think every single Mets fan let like was really raw when this happened because oh, it's, it's you as a Mets fan, you're just so used, to, you're so ready for the other shoe to drop, and we've had such a run of like good things happening mostly for the last couple of years, basically since Steve Cohen bought the team. And for something like this to happen just two weeks before the season is like, you have to just be kidding me that like this happened. So again, there was a lot of anti WBC stuff. I never, I never swore off WBC. I said, I would not forgive the WBC, which is different <laughs> to me. I would never forgive it. I didn't yes. say the games are meaningless because the games are not meaningless. Anyone with two eyes, a brain and a beating heart knows they're not meaningless, but it did. It has left like a different taste in my mouth about WBC. It's tough. Cause it was like a freak freak accident. The way that it happened. We, we, I think, days later after seeing what went on obviously in the moment we were all like freaking out i think i even t- texted you all condemn the condemn the wbc which i take those words back i was i was thinking out of haste and a couple beers had been in my body as well at that time so you know maybe the brain wasn't working as as well as it should but i mean like people were really mad like i met a guy at the racetrack who was quite disgruntled he saw i had the, a pete alonzo usa jersey on he stopped me he tapped me on the shoulder he's like hey F to WBC. I hate this. And then he like went on this like whole tangent about how losing Edwin Diaz, the season's over. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second here, buddy. Hold on a second. Losing Edwin Diaz is huge. Obviously, he's important to this team as a closer. But this Mets roster was not built where one guy goes down and the season's over. One guy leaves the team. One guy can't be a part of it. And all of a sudden, the season's over, especially the closer position, which me and you have talked about at length, is very important when you have a guy like Edwin Diaz. But it's important to build up a bullpen that has the depth to give you the opportunity of if someone does go down, if someone's struggling, someone else can step right in. And I feel like the Mets have built that bullpen this year. So all the Mets fans saying the season's over because we lost our closer, I get the feeling. I understand how you feel, but you also have to know that's a, that's a crazy sentence to say out loud. I mean, the Rays haven't rocked the closer ever. Yeah, and I mean, we just, we've just we watched teams go to the World Series the last few years with complete question marks in the bullpen. Like, the Braves won a World Series with what was objectively a bad bullpen. The Phillies bad. went to the World Series last year with what was objectively a bad bullpen. Like These are these are normal things that happen in baseball. The Astros, the average baseball fan can name maybe one or two relievers in the entire Astros team, and they, they have seven guys you've never heard of. So that it is, it is a bigger 
thing for the Mets to deal with just because we literally had the best closer. Like when you have the hundredth percentile closer, losing them is worse. But if you're going to lose, I mean, I'm not even going to say that because like I don't want to lose any good players. So I'm not going to say that at all. But it just it, this disproportionately affects the Mets because of how good he is. Like him being the best closer by a lot makes this hurt worse just because you lost a blue chip player. Any team losing a blue chip player would hurt. Luckily, this blue chip player only is going to be was going only going to be in 60 games or so anyway. So that makes it a little bit better. Someone else had a logical point where it was like one of the data guys I follow. I think it was either Jeff Zimmerman or Derek Hardy or uh, John Anderson, an analytics guy on Twitter, where like a, a closer doesn't put you in position to win games. He just finishes the wins you have. Like the Mets theoretically will have as many leads this year as they would have had with or without Edmund Diaz. You're going to build as many leads. You're going to get to the eighth or ninth inning with as many leads. It's just the difference of closing them. And last year, that was why he closed like 99% of them. Was It might have been 100% of them. That's different. That so be- it's like, that was yeah, going to be what I brought up was like the fact that it was really cool how we'd get to the ninth inning with the lead and it was over. Like that was really yeah. nice as a Mets fan to like kind of just not, I mean, we still stress because, you know, the games are still stressful, but we had all the confidence in the world in Edwin when he came into the game in any situation, like, oh, game, game's over. He's got this. And relatively speaking, like you said, 99% of the time or whatever it was, he got it done. So I think that's the only concern is that there will now be this uneasiness that we've unfortunately as Mets fans been very familiar with now in the ninth inning. Yeah, we went from having one of the sh- the most talented bullpens in baseball to now a, a, just a good one. That, and that is that is a big difference, and that does feel bad. That is something that's going to really show itself over the course of a season, but it's not saying it's something that's impossible to deal with, that teams can't win with it. Also, before we do move on and talk about who's going to fill this void, who's going to step up, who's probably going to save opportunities, I want to urge and caution Mets fans to not eat the trash on Twitter because for every single reaction on the internet, there's an equal and usually actually probably greater and more exaggerated opposite reaction. And anytime anything happens with an injury, spring training, World Baseball Classic, whenever someone stubs their toe, now people are just calling on Mets fans, being like, oh, you should end spring training games. Oh, you should you should end stretching. Oh, you shouldn't like guys. Because I remember like last year, James Caprellian got hurt putting a shirt on. Like Carlos Correa one time got hurt having sex. Like people get hurt in tanning beds. Like Jabba Chandler got hurt on a trampoline. Like you should ban all these things. All Mets fans, don't 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 buy into this holier than thou approach of a lot of these people on the internet right now. They have their own takes. We have, we have a target on our backs anyway. We we have just since Steve Cohen came in. We have for the last couple of off seasons just because we're spending more money than everybody. We want to win more. And we have more resources. And now with the target on our backs, there's a there's an arrow that was shot into it. So now with a target on your back, there's already an arrow in there. So everyone just has to keep walking, keep moving forward. Don't look back at the peons and the peasants. We are who we are. We're, we're, we're still a marquee team in this league, a marquee organization in the sport. Do not eat the trash of these people on Twitter making fun of you for being upset that one of the best players on your team got hurt in a game that wasn't being played for your team. Despite the fact that that game was meaningful and important and will continue to go on and players should continue to participate in it. A hundred percent. I mean, the being here, seeing like the fandom, seeing how the players react to everything. The WBC is incredibly important. And even before you came into the thing, when me and Vito, our producer, shout out Vito, we were just talking about the WBC and the numbers that it's been doing, not only in attendance at the games, it's doubled, I think, from the previous WBC, which is pretty impressive considering there's been a six year layoff between the two. But the attendance at games for the WBC and the people watching on TV the Japan versus Korea game had 66 million people watching that game worldwide, which for baseball is incredible for the growth of the sport. It's incredible. I know that's like the big argument everyone talks about. It's like, oh, growth of the sport. Like we, we stopped caring about the, the actual games that matters. Like, no, to the players, this game matters. To the countries, this game matters. Like maybe you don't have the pride in this because I, I, I will say this. USA fans just seem to care a little bit less than every other country in this tournament. And that's understandable. The USA doesn't really have this big national baseball presence. It's always been Major League Baseball. 
But for these countries like Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Japan, Korea, even Australia, these games meant a ton. And this is huge for building up the sport of baseball, huge for building up the major leagues even, because now you're going to start getting kids in Australia. You're going to get kids in Japan, Korea, all these places that now want to play baseball because maybe they watch the World Baseball Classic. Like This tournament is a net huge positive for the growth of baseball, for the growth of Major League Baseball. It's not going anywhere, guys. It's not going anywhere. So really, you're just wasting your time. You're, you're screaming at the clouds for the WBC to come to an end because of a couple injuries. Honestly, if anything, the Astros got the Astros got a bad end of this thing too with Jose Altuve breaking his hand. That's an everyday player who's an MVP who's going to miss eight to ten weeks because he got hit with a pitch up and in. Like that sucks too. If not more, usually broken hands for players who hit with power, especially a guy with Altuve who so much of his power is literally coming from his hands and his wrists. Like that's. That could be an injury that quite literally alters the rest of his career. And not saying that Edwin Diaz patellar injury, that's not impossible either, because the patellar is a, is a massive tendon in your knee and it's, he's a pitch power pitcher. But there's still, there's so, there's still, I mean, again, it sucks to hear this as Mets fans, but there's still so much more good that comes out of this tournament than bad. And it's clear when you watch it night in, night out, that's true. This is some of the most emotional baseball I've ever seen. The kid from Nicaragua, Duque Eber, he just got picked yeah. up from the Tigers with an electric fastball just out of nowhere. He's, just, he's literally a major leaguer now just because of this tournament. It's, there's so he, many he things struck like out happening. Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers. Was it? Was yeah. those the three guys? And the yep. the tiger, the tiger scout that's on the uh, Dominican team or whatever is like, we're gonna sign him because he just struck out three of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. Like this, this tournament's awesome. This I I can't vouch for it anymore. The injuries suck. Injuries are gonna happen, as we know, they can happen in spring training games too, which I guess will also lead us into the next thing we'll talk about. But it's baseball. These guys are playing. I mean, you got Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani was throwing 103 miles an hour. If that guy can can go balls to the wall and throw 103, I think I think the tournament is going to be okay. And like we said, spring training games happen too. As long as there's baseball being played, injuries in theory can happen. And we did see that with Brandon Nimmo sliding into second base where he kind of just got caught into the ground a little bit, twisted his knee, twisted his ankle. Luckily, it seems like from what Billy Epler said, uh, Nimmo is no, no serious injury risk right now, just kind of taking it day to day. Well, yeah, Nimmo also said that as well. He's like, this is the best case scenario. I'm still motivated to be ready for opening day. Not certain that'll happen. He's probably sure shooting for the home opener, but really, really refreshing that we didn't have three major offseason contracts go down within a week of each other, with 10 days of each other <laughs> before yeah. the season started. And it's even worse because during that game, Nimmo was like lacing the ball. He had a double and like a rope single. And I think he might have also drawn a walk to put him on base then. He had two balls and play over 100 miles an hour. Like he looked like he was really... Only been in game action for about a week. It really looked like he was finding a groove, and now he just kind of has to push that back a little bit. So that's probably gonna, you know, probably gonna have something to do with his timing, the way the season starts, the way April and May play out. But still, just very relieved that we avoided the worst. Yeah, and that was was that the next day or two days after the Edwin Diaz thing? Because it felt like, I mean, the Edwin like, yeah, Diaz thing around then was a real punch in the nuts. And this was like, oh my god, you got to be kidding me! Like, I, I can't believe this is happening. But luckily. Good news coming out of the Brandon Nimmo camp, which, you know, positive vibes. Positive vibes is what we're rooting for. Because he'd be a tough void to fill. Speaking about filling that Edwin Diaz void, like we said with the Mets bullpen, there's a lot of guys that could do it closing-wise. I mean, what are you thinking, James? I'm thinking – I've had a couple different thoughts about this. I originally came into this thinking, like, the guys we're going to close are going to be the guys with the best stuff. And that's Adam Onovino and David Robertson. They're the guys who in this bullpen make the most money. They're the guys with the best stuff. And they're the guys who are – Ipso facto, old just have the most experience. But then I look through kind of their careers a little bit. And I see that Adovino really, as good as he's been his entire career, really does not have very much ninth inning experience. While David Robertson, and he has over 200 save opportunities in his career. Like he has plenty of ninth inning experience. 
And as good as they both are, it seems to me like a lot of these teams, I know nothing about I know nothing about what the Mets are thinking internally. I know absolutely nothing. I have no information. I'm just thinking about literally the way I play fantasy baseball and how to find closers on teams that don't have obvious closers. Usually, quite often these teams who are not the teams that are like, we are committed to committee bullpen approaches. And the Mets, they could that that could be the, the way they go. But I just know coming for a manager like Buckshaw Walter, traditionally in his managerial career, has had closers that he's been like, this is my closer. Traditionally, when you look at these guys for fantasy baseball purposes, I know nothing about what's going on internally in the Mets organization and what they're thinking about strategy or planning here. It's usually the guy who has had the more save opportunities in the last couple of years in his career. So that kind of leads me to David Robertson, who we signed for a decent contract in the offseason. He was phenomenal last year. He looks phenomenal again this spring. Like He seems to me as the guy who is going to be probably the guy who is the de facto closer. He's better getting hitters from both sides to play out than Adam Adovino. And then we can leave Adovino as the guy who is the fireman who gets the best right-handed hitters out all the time because he is incredible. He had one of the best relievers of any really pitcher in baseball last year. Only one of three. I've said this before in the show. Only one of three relievers to have a 30% strikeout rate, a 50% ground ball rate, and less than 10% walk rate in the entire league last year. And the other two were Yoan Duran and Andres Munoz. Probably the two nastiest relievers besides Edmund Diaz in the entire sport. And Adam Adovino is with those guys with those distinctions. And he's been throwing frisbees in WBC. So with these two guys at the back, again, it sucks losing Edmund Diaz. We lose by far the best reliever in baseball. But there's still two very formidable options who are a better one-two punch at the back than most teams could even offer. They used to be part of a one-two-three. That was better than any team could have offered. But now as a one-two, it still puts us in a pretty decent position. And I think this also leads us to now the, the other guys also need to step up. It's just everyone's going to have to step up on this team all year long. Even if you had Edwin Diaz and you want to win a World Series, people have to step up, right? It's just a little bit more important now, a little more prevalent. But guys in the back end of the bullpen, or I shouldn't say back end, the front end, I guess is technically what you would call that, right? The front end of the bullpen, guys like Drew Smith, Drew Flo, Drew Chains, John Curtis, Brooks Raley, just to name some guys. Like all those dudes, that's why we talked about them so much during the offseason because we knew they were going to be very important. Maybe not for this reason, but these guys are going to now have to step up and fill in those spots now because a guy like Adovino and Robertson kind of get pushed up one inning now. Definitely. And I think Rayleigh is somewhat interesting to talk about here because Andy Martino, he said specifically the other day that Rayleigh and D-Rob were the guys who were going to get the save opportunities, which also made me think that they were just going to maintain Adovino's role as it was and what it was because of how successful he was. And Rayleigh got like half a dozen saves last year with the Rays. He can get guys from both sides to play it out. He's a wily pitcher. And it's kind of like, with bullpens, when you think about like the depth chart changing, it's like everyone kind of moves up a rung instead of like we like shuffle tiers. Like everyone just kind of has to get up one spot. Everyone goes up one spot. So like you're like again like someone else, someone else from the B team has to go to the A team. Someone else from the C team has to go to the B team. Someone else who was kind of in the mix and match spot, they got to be in the C team. That's kind of how this works. Drew Flo is going to be a guy who's going to be incorporated. He's got the slider and the fastball work in the spring. John Curtis is someone who the Mets made that cool signing last year. Like we'll pay for your rehab for one year to get one year of you hopefully being an elite reliever. And he's sitting around 50% strikeouts this spring. His fastball velocity is like about near 95, where it's been most of his career. His slider velocity is up where it's always been too. But he's kind of like, I'm noticing something with a lot of the Mets pitchers, like over the last like eight or nine days, just looking at their velocity readings day by day. A lot of them have pulled velocity back from the, like the week before. So I don't know if we've just had bad guns for a week or if there's like an organizational ideal to be like, all right, we're like, we're managing effort week by week here. So it's like 80%, 60%, 90% or like just, that's just an example throwing into my head. So, it seems like Curtis is a guy who I think Mets fans should be aware of because also for Curtis, he's had such a good spring that maybe this last week is pullback velocity because he's like, okay, I made the team now, so I can chill a little bit. Like I can I can keep this thing safe and get ready for April rather than trying to throw 100%, trying to prove myself to these guys. He also did an interview in SNY. He literally just looks like a dude. 
he's got like the male pattern baldness. He was just he was wearing like a t-shirt. He was just like kind of joking around with the reporters. I was like, oh, this could be a fun guy to interview. I'll always tell you, he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. When I was at the COVID World Series watching the Rays versus the Dodgers, I was sitting in right field before the game watching BP. John Curtis was running around the outfield robbing home runs like Kevin Kiermeyer. The dude is a freak athlete. I don't really know what that has to do with him being a pitcher and how well he'll pitch this year. We'll take but it. I'll tell you right now, if you get to the ballpark early, watch the guy shag fly balls in the outfield. It's electric. He's money. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bryce Montesteoka, again, we talked about it last week, but avoided the worst with his uh, sore forearm. He's going to be shut down for it was a couple weeks, so hopefully we see him back and throwing his frisbees, blitz balls, like by the middle of May. And the other guy, I got to talk Hold about on. him. I, Wait, get someone, start the, some, someone start the clock. We got 30 seconds. It's the James Jeff Brigham half, half minute. Go. The, the Brigham extravaganza. Just similar to <laughs> John Curtis, the Velo has gotten almost all the way back to where it was. It's basically back to where he was last year. It's not back to the 97 he sat out 2019 where he really broke out as a reliever with the Marlins, but the fact that he's already getting to 95, he's touched 96 a few times, makes me think that he will be able to max out 97 and a half, 98. Once his arm gets fully warm and the weather moves up, the slider is also back at last year's average. If we get to that 97 again, if we get to 97 again, I really think this guy could be a force the back end of the ball. I'm not even kidding, but it is something to keep an eye on in his appearance. I believe it was either Friday or Saturday. He was stretched out to 42 pitches. They tried the game through two innings. He had some control issues, so he didn't get through him. One and two thirds, but 40 pitches. So Brigham might be a guy who the Mets are using his star as experience. If he can sit 94-95 for 40 pitches and he could be like a two-inning guy, that's also a weapon with his ridiculous slider. That's kind of fun. That was kind of cool. Something to keep an eye on. But I think Jeff Brigham has done enough this spring to get himself into that opening day bullpen. He does have an option still, and I think he is someone who's going to be very interesting to watch as we shuffle around, try to find new guys to make impacts. I just, I just hope that whenever we inevitably get to talk to Jeff Brigham, that he appreciates how big of a fan you are of this guy. Cause like, I mean, there's, there's no podcast. There's no person in the world. I, I don't even think his parents talk about him as much as YouTube games. <laughs> I'm telling you, bring him young. He's my, my guy right there. I love Jeff Brigham. He, I also just think he can be good. Like that's the biggest thing here. Like I look yeah. at this bullpen. I look at who, who could step up, who has some potential Johnson to come in at some point. I'm sure talk about his boy, Jimmy Yacobonis, who also probably, has pitched well enough this spring to earn himself a spot in the team because he is out of options. One of the few guys who is out of options in this mix. So he's someone's going to be a little interesting here. We lost Zach Green back to the Yankees. Poor one out for our Rule Five baby Zach Green. But there are just a lot of guys back here. This is this is the cruel, the cruel karma and fate of what's happened to Edwin Diaz because now, as we've talked about for years doing this show, how much we want like a modern bullpen, all these different guys to make stuff. We talked about the Astros, talked about the Dodgers, talked about the Rays. We literally lost our lightning rod that made us like the best bullpen. And now we're like, this is, this is the bullpen you guys wanted. You just got it. Like, have fun with it. Yeah. This is your karma. We also picked up a couple new guys uh, after the Edwin Diaz injury. Dennis Dennis Santana, or is it is that a, you just pronounce it Dennis? I know sometimes it's like Denny. Let me check. Okay. Maybe this Denny, Dennis. I just saw that, that was his name that was I pulled from like on – Pangrass baseball reference. It was called Dennis. Maybe he goes by okay. Dennis. But I, pulled I, he, I believe he pitched last year against the Mets when he was with the Rangers. He's always a dude who's had mm-hmm. good stuff, but has never really put together like the strikeout numbers, right? If I'm correct. 
Yeah, well, I, I looked a little bit into that because he is a guy who has great stuff. He has a good slider and he throws cheddar cheese. Like he sits like 98, 99. But looking through it, he throws significantly more two seamers than four seamers, even though both do grade out as plus movement profile wise. And that ratio was like four to one last year between two seamers and four seamers. So that is a play as a guy who probably would seek more ground balls. And I do think that maybe it's some, something to watch for Mets fans as he progresses. If he gets to this team, because we're not going to have this data if he's in the minor leagues, how much that ratio either stay, changes or stays the same between his four seamers and his two seamers. That kind of seems like that seems like the adjustment that can be made. And it will be interesting to see if that's an adjustment we do make. 100%. Uh, we also got Bubby Rossman, who was on Team Israel. Uh, I know you got a little scouting report on him. I saw him pitch, I believe, against Team Venezuela uh, in the pool play. I didn't I didn't notice much, but you got some stuff on him. Yeah, he's another guy who just throws hard. I commend the Mets for something bad like this happening and getting right to the grindstone the next day and getting two guys who throw 98 miles an hour. I feel like there's certain people in the past who maybe would have signed just like a 39-year-old guy who had like 18 saves over the last two years. I remember I, I longed for the days of Jose Valverde in the back, <laughs> in the back end of a bullpen, but I'm happy the Mets got two mostly unknown guys who actually throw hard. Rossman's fastball, though, it is just very straight. It doesn't really have a lot of hop or ride on it. So we probably will need a little bit of fairy dust, probably will need to get into the lab. And if that four-seam fastball doesn't get the hop, because one of the hardest things a pitcher can change is literally the shape on his fastball, we'll see maybe if he's a guy who experiments with a two-seamer sinker or cutter, just depending on what happens with the Jeremy Hefter fairy dust. Yeah, and then there's obviously been the conversations by no one important necessarily, but just by people on Twitter being like, who can we trade for? Who can we go after? And there's, I mean, it's the reliever market, so seemingly almost everybody's available that you could probably think of, and especially the guys who are coming up on getting paid, right? At like coming up to arbitration paydays, guys like like a Dave Bednar. Yeah, I mean Dave Bednar, friend of the program. Shout out my boy Ross. Um, he's he, I mean, he's like the dream, but you're not, you can't make a trade for a relief pitcher before like July fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Like just the, the major league baseball transactions don't work like that. You're gonna get your arm twisted. Your feet are gonna be held to the fire. Him, I would say maybe like Scott Barlow. Then anybody who steps up for the Tigers, anybody who steps up for the Rockies, Bard kind of makes a lot of money, and we just saw him kind of kind of lose it a little bit over the weekend. So I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know. Again, Mets fans, Mets fans are dying for Alexis Diaz right now, but he has so much team control. It probably, and he also might be a little bit unstable skills wise. He also just could not pitch the day after the injury happened. He. That's that's a good brother. That's a good brother though, right there. You're yeah. you're so burnt, burnt bent out of shape that your that your big brother is like is gonna be out for an extended period of time. What they played the trumpets for Alexis Diaz too when he came out, and it felt mm. it felt very strange. Felt very strange. Like felt that. like Don't like that. Yeah, it felt like uh like like a sad tribute, like of like yeah. uh, like, like it felt like we were mourning. I didn't like it. Uh, I don't like that at all. But I mean, these are the options that you're gonna hear about. No, no trade talks can even be considered half serious until we get to July, middle of July at least. So that's a long time away. We're still on March 20th. The Mets are going to play like 80 games, not 100 games until we can even consider trading for a reliever. So I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll be active with cuts from spring training. I'm sure they'll be active on the waiver market. I'm sure they'll be active with like weird 40-man roster cuts that are going to be going on as, as these uh, weeks go on. The Rays famously pulled Nick Anderson in a midseason trade. They pulled Peter Fairbanks for Nick Solak like on the eve of the season a couple of years ago. Like there are options that arise for teams and players like this, but I think when you're you're not really going to see anybody you know any transactions off the bat, and we're gonna a lot's going to be about John Curtis, a lot's going to be about Drew Smith, a lot's going to be about Brooks Raley, a lot's going to be about freaking Jeff Brigham. You're gonna these guys in the bullpen right now. A lot's going to be on their shoulders, and it's going to be up to them to pick up the slack. 
For sure. And of course, like with Mets baseball going on, I know we just talked for about 30 minutes about Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo, injury, all that kind of stuff. We can, we can get a little positive now here because we have had the spring training games continuing to go on while the WBC has been happening. We've had Scherzer been pitching, Peterson, McGill, Carrasco, Brett Beatty, DJ Stewart hit for the cycle. I mean, there's been a lot going on. I think everyone probably wants to talk about the pitchers though, right? I mean, for sure. Over, since, over the last week, since we last talked to you guys, Scherzer and Furlander both shoved. So we have some solace in that. That oh yeah, we do still have two of the two of the best uh, pitchers in the entire sport ever. And our entire any of our lifetimes listening to the show right now are on this team. So that's a really good thing. David Peterson also looked amazing again on Sunday. It's crazy that when this guy came up and even when he was drafted, he was a sinker changeup guy, and he walked out there on Saturday and threw almost exclusively fastball sliders and curves. It was yes. like. It's like you couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. And his curveball hasn't really been grading that well in terms of a lot of like moving metrics so far this spring. But when I look at it, I don't think it looks that bad. So I'm thinking that maybe this is something that is useful. And he threw 12 of them in four innings on Sunday. That is more than he's ever thrown in and out in his entire career. He threw them in four innings of a spring training game. So I'm really fascinated to see how his pitch mix develops early in the season. If this curveball thing is just something he's working on in the spring, and then he kind of eases it in, or he just walks in the regular season just dropping hooks left and right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably coming from being around guys like Verlander and Scherzer, too, as we've mentioned. The the uh, David Peterson and Tyler McGill interviews are going to come out on Wednesday for you guys, so keep an eye out for that because we talk a lot about pitching with both of them. But hearing, you know, that they what it's like to be around guys like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander for them and what they're learning and their experiences, I think part of that has to do with maybe Peterson experimenting with this curveball. We've talked about it before. It's just a nice extra pitch to have. It's now something else that the hitters have to keep in their head. Even if you said like it doesn't grade as like a great curveball, just the fact that it exists or that he could even get it over for a strike, not trying to use it as a strikeout pitch, but maybe sneak start account. Oh, one, because, Oh, it's, it's a curveball, not a fastball or a slider that's coming in. That's huge for a guy like David Peterson. His potential has just continued to climb and climb. And he's just gotten so much better since the start. I mean, we've, we've been big David Peterson guys the last two years now, and we've been really really pushing it forward this year. It's just he he could be a huge difference maker for this team. He's also such a unicorn because he's so big. Like huge. a lot of what we're using to track pitcher like movement and pitcher stuff these days. I just like I look a lot to Brooks baseball, baseball savant to get like the per game movement data and I use Eno Saris's stuff plus model a lot because usually it captures a lot and there's been a lot of statistical sabermetric research done this this year specifically by Jordan Rosenblum who works with Eno and Tom Tango who's like the father like one of the most one of the leading people in sabermetrics. They both said it actually is really, really useful in predicting ERA and strikeout rate for a season. So it's something I use a lot because it's proven to be very predictive. And for some reason, a lot of it just misses a lot of what Peterson does well. I really think it has a lot to do with his ridiculous extension. He yep. is so big. Like, if you guys ever stood next to David Peterson, you, you saw the pictures we put up of David Peterson. I look like a, I look like a cartoon character. I look like a post, like <laughs> someone in anime who's like, it's like, I'm the sidekick and he's like the superhero because he is like nine feet tall and his arms reach like across the room. So, like, I feel like there's there's things that he's doing that we aren't really catching as members of the public right now in terms of baseball. And just watching him get more and more comfortable, more and more effective is really unbelievable. Yeah, no, he, he's done really good. And I mean, having him in that rotation to fill in is it's, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great. And I know you guys are probably like, Hey, you're talking a lot about pitching this episode. Just, just want to remember or remind you guys that like majority of the Mets hitters are playing in the world baseball classic right now. So there is not a whole lot of hitting to be talked about. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of pitching until the WBC ends, which actually has got a couple of days left. So we'll get back to the, those guys back in camp soon, but I will say on the, on the hitting side, Brett Beatty, still doing his thing, still doing his thing. That kid can play. Let me tell you, I'm all in on Brett Beatty cards, as I've been telling you. Dude's just a ball player, man. Absolute ball player. 
he just hits everything. He really just truly hits everything. And he, as far as the Mets prospects, Vientos and Mauricio both started much higher this spring. They both kind of cooled, come a little back to earth the last few weeks, more so Vientos than Mauricio. But Bailey just, Bailey gets hit every single day. Bailey just walks on the field and gets a base hit. It's kind of unbelievable to watch. And then we should also touch on Francisco Alvarez, who hasn't had the strongest spring by all accounts of the plate, but he still is hitting the ball very hard regularly. And he is also, as everyone remembers, 21 years old and trying to catch for like these, a lot of these pitchers for the first time in his entire career. So I think it is. Cause I remember, I remember it was a whole thing last spring that he was in camp, but he didn't catch any of the guys. Like that yes. was kind of a story that kind of went on over the course of the season. So this is the first time Francisco Alvarez is working on this part of his game with all the pitchers on the major league team, which is meaningful for what they expect his role to be this year and next year, I would say. But I do think that there's a lot going on. There's a lot that's being put on him right now. So the fact that he's, while making hard contact, the ball isn't finding holes or dropping, I don't think that's, that's something that we should be focusing on as a fan base and organization. No, and then some, like, I don't want to say ancillary, but some guys on the outside looking in, some dudes who will be more, like, role-depth players. DJ Stewart, we mentioned, hit for the cycle, which I feel like there's always one cycle every spring training, and I always go, like, how does that even happen? Like, one, for a player to play a full game, pretty crazy in spring training. John says first since 2020. Okay. Well, yeah, see, like pretty much every spring training, there's a cycle, it seems like, <laughs> except those other two years that happened in between 2020 and 2023. But, uh, yeah, DJ Stewart, man, he's he was a guy who in Baltimore, I think while Buck was there, right, had some success, had some pop in his bat, so it's good to see he's swinging it well. I think it was after Buck was there. I feel like oh, okay. he was a college guy, so he got drafted, I want to say, like 18, 19 time around then. So it was definitely after Buck was there. Now. But. Yeah, he had great. I mean, he was a great player in college. He was a high draft pick. He has incredible bat speed. He's a pretty. He's like he's rotationally. He's a great athlete. He's he's a guy who can hit the ball relatively hard. So I think he's someone interesting. Tim McCastro's also continues just to like wreak havoc, get on base this spring. Whiskey Armas getting on base a lot. Um, who else are the bats right now? Tommy Pham's hitting the ball hard, but he's, he is not really finding holes either. So that's a, that's a guy who with his Nemo injury could be in the lineup on opening day. So someone to keep an eye out for. But yeah, otherwise, most of our hitters have just not. I've just been at the World Baseball Classic. We like basically the entire lineup's been gone. Edmund Francisco Lindor still has like some of the like the most batted balls, 105 miles an hour above in all spring nice. training. He's taking a spring training at bat in like almost three full weeks. That just kind of shows how locked in he's been. Yeah, and how good he's been, how, how good he was in WBC. Just looked like we have a monster right there. And then he's been, yeah, he's, he's most- been swinging the bat well and uh, or was swinging the bat well at the WBC. He should be back in spring training soon though, because Puerto Rico got knocked out. But yeah, I'd be back probably to, to there tomorrow. But and also. Yeah. Just touching on a couple more pitchers. Drew Smith's having a fantastic spring. Eight strikeouts, two walks, one earned in five innings. Drew Flo is flowing. He's a guy, again, he's going to be pushed up a rung. Probably see him a lot in eighth inning duties when the season begins. With him, out of you know, with Rayleigh and Robertson, probably all things save opportunities. Tyler McGill did not have a good outing when he came into the game on Sunday. He came in after, I think it was it was Peterson, then reliever. It might have been Robertson. It might have been Robertson. And then McGill. Maybe it's just something about McGill's preparation where when he comes in from the bullpen, things are different and it's like a mental hurdle he has to get over, but he really, really focused on throwing his slider this outing much more than he threw in any other spring outing so far this season. It was almost 40% usage and he just was missing a lot of spots, righties and lefties. He did have a couple of nice hits where he found black, got some whiffs, but it wasn't really, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't really that sharp and he ended up leaving a lot over the plate. He ended up missing a lot of spots, got behind a lot of counts, throwing a lot of pitches. And then he's still just really chilling with the velo. And I feel like a guy like Tyler McGill, his velocity is very important to, his just to his effectiveness probably more so than a lot of other pitchers so when you pull that back like the three four percent he has it probably has a little bit more of an impact on his effectiveness oh 100 and i mean like you said throwing the sliders as much as he did maybe he was working on something and i think that's what's that's cool what I mean. and yeah. that's what everyone he's working, also, he's working on something 
always has to remember about spring training. You're always working on something, especially the pitchers, always working on something. And the pitchers are always ahead of the hitters. So that's, those are the, my two favorite things I love to say about spring training. Pitchers are working on something. The pitchers are ahead of the hitters. It doesn't make any sense when you think about it, but it's definitely my two favorite spring training cliches. No, the best part about spring training is that if you have a good game, you're like, all right, if this is meaningful, he's hot, ready to go in. Guy's a bad game. He's working on stuff. It's fine. No big deal. It's just spring yeah. training. These games, these games Look, don't count. A little peek behind the curtains for you guys. Me and James have been talking like about players and cards and guys that we like and think like cards we should buy. And we're talking about like how great Spencer Torkelson's been, how Cody Bellinger's not striking out at all. But then like you ignore the guys that you love who are having an awful spring training. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or, or the guys that you hate, like James Swanson, who is like one for 28 with like 15 <laughs> strikeouts at the start of spring training. It would be a real shame if he was just never good again, that that feather-haired freak, but whatever. Just whatever. We're okay. We're okay, guys. It's this was this yeah. was a this, this was this was a trying week for Mets fans. There was a lot of emotions at the end of the week. If you guys could have seen the Mets up group chat on Thursday <laughs> and Friday, <laughs> go sold admission to that thing. But we're 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 all right. It's gonna be it's gonna be a unique set of challenges for this coaching staff right now. It's gonna be a unique set of challenges to players since bullpen. It's gonna be a unique set of challenges to leaders in this team to keep everyone together and maintain what we expect to be a team that's World Series caliber. You saw the thing about uh, Steve Cohen, right? Like hiring like a nutritionist and like a physical therapist yeah. to just basically like Incredible. live with Edwin, Edwin Diaz and like be around him twenty four seven, so he can get back as soon as possible and be as healthy and strong whenever he does come back as possible. Which, I mean, I, f- I feel like everyone takes notice of that because that's that's a, a lot of owners don't do that. It's a personal trainer, a chef, and a nutritionist. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on the wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons of the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data wasabi another boston-based champion Team. So we got amazing day coming up. We're of course going to bring in John here, as you guys can see. He's also got some minor leaguers. He's been hanging out, talking to some of those guys, some minor league guys who could come up make an impact for us. So John, before you tell us a little more about Amazing Day, who are those minor leaguers to keep an eye out for? Well, there are a lot, and um, you know, one thing I want to remind Mets fans of is 2015. Let's bring it back to 2015. Opening day, Henry Mejia was the projected closer that season. Uh, the Mets had the lead into the ninth inning. Lucas Duda took Max Scherzer deep. And everyone expects Mejia to come in, try to nail down the save. And it's actually Buddy Carlisle that came in to nail down the save. Mejia was hurt. Some other things transpire the rest of the way. Next thing you know, out of nowhere, uh, Jerry's Familia turns in one of the or two of the best seasons by relievers in Mets history. So obviously the Edwin Diaz situation, not good. Nobody asked for it. But situations like these can give birth and lead to seasons like Jerry's familiar had. So look, no one's replacing it with Diaz. We all know that, but there are some guys along with the ones that you guys mentioned that can step up here and make a difference in this bullpen. And I'm going to focus on some of the guys in the minor leagues right now. 
you guys know and the listeners know I'm a big Grant Hartwig fan, and there is a lot to yep. like with Grant Hartwig. Uh, he did pitch in Major League Camp this year. Didn't have too much uh, work, but he did strike out three of the eight hitters that he faced. Um, a very cerebral guy. I'm sure you guys saw a lot of the articles that have come out about him. He was pre-med at, at Miami of Ohio, um, so a really, really cerebral guy. Another interesting part about him is that he caught in college. He hit. So, I mean, when a guy's in the box, the, the battle is the batter against the pitcher and the catcher. Grant Hartwig has experience with all three of those situations. I love that. I love that this guy knows what the hitter is thinking. He knows what the catcher is thinking. He also didn't allow a single home run in 56 and two-thirds innings across not one, not two, not three, but four levels of the minor leagues last year. So he shot through the system. Uh, James, you mentioned Jimmy Yacobonis, Central Jersey guy. It does exist. Went to CBA. Uh, had a great conversation with him recently. Um, a great spring. Six, six innings, no runs allowed whatsoever. Sinker guy. Pitched with Buck back in 2017 with Baltimore. Slider has great vertical movement. Pitched very well in 2021 for Tacoma. That's the Mariners AAA affiliate. And uh, a guy the Rays were on last year. And as we know, when the Rays are on you, there's definitely something there. So yeah, Jimmy Yacobone like is a good option. Troy Miller, another one. Um, not a household name necessarily. I know, Mark, you've mentioned Troy Miller. Acquired mm -hmm. by the Mets in the Jacob Barnes deal, a very minor deal. Had Tommy John surgery. He's now 26 years old. A good four-pitch mix. Worked very hard to get back from his Tommy John. Um, and he can really spin it. That's the thing. He doesn't throw overwhelmingly hard, but he can definitely spin the change up, the slider, the curveball. Another one of those guys who could factor in this season. Brendan Hardy, another one. So Brendan Hardy is a really interesting fact. A 34th-round pick, I believe, in 2018 Whoa. by the Mets. Out of high school in Mississippi. He's, he's grown a couple inches since the Mets drafted him, which that's unusual, obviously, but he's now about 6'4", and he leverages that height that he, that he added. Um, no homers allowed in 23 appearances last year between Brooklyn and Binghamton. He did succumb to a shoulder injury, a, a K rate over 30%, and a lot of it is with a, a sweeping slider that he's developed. So that's another guy, not super young, has at least gotten to Binghamton. I mean, look, to be honest, you know, if you're an arm, if you're a dude, but you haven't pitched past Brooklyn. It's probably unlikely that you're reaching the bigs this year, unless obviously you're going to be fast-tracked. Mm -hmm. um, but Brendan Hardy has pitched in Binghamton, so there's a guy to keep an eye on. Another one is Josh Walker. He's now 20. Yes, James. Have any of these pitchers you mentioned pitched in the fall league? Because usually that's an indicator that they could get a major league look. So Grant Hartwig did. I believe that I believe Brendan Hardy, Hardy was going to, but then his shoulder injury prevented that. Grant Hartwig did pitch in the fall league. The Mets also had some position players play in the fall league. Brandon McElwain is one. Um, but that's a really good point. So, I mean, I think I think it's natural to say that Grant Hartwig's probably yeah. the first guy that's going to get that chance. Another guy to keep an eye on is lefty Josh Walker, New Haven, Connecticut, or he went that's to college guy. in New Haven. He's got really good pizza takes, which you can't go wrong with that. 6'6 um, six, six frame, tall, big slider, uh, a great 2021, especially at Binghamton where he had a sub-3 ERA. Last year was injury-plagued. I think he probably would have cracked the big leagues by now had an injury, had injuries not prevented him from getting there. Um, but he's healthy right now, so that's another guy, especially from the left side, to keep an eye on. I'll just rattle off some other names here. Eric Orsi is a name. Great oh, yeah, 20, about him. Great 2021 season. Uh, he's had a really good spring training as well. Um, and then, you know, who knows what the Mets philosophy is with starters and using them as relievers, especially to keep the innings under control. The Mets have a couple starters right now. One is Dom Hamill, pitch for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. Another one is Mike Vassell, who had a great year last year. 
was promoted to, uh, to Binghamton. So there's a lot of options here. There are sure. a lot of options here. Jose, and Jose Budo, too. Be, yeah, Jose Budo. Like, none of these guys would either I mean, be taking over, like, a huge role either. This is, like, filling in those, those yeah, last few spots of depth, which is, which is important when you have a good team, as we know. And, I mean, John's got the minor league roundup for us, minor league roundup for us there with some of those pitchers that could be coming up maybe at some point for the Mets. And we'll obviously keep tabs on all these guys as we do throughout the season. Wrapping up this episode, I mentioned it. We have amazing day coming up. Make sure you wear your Mets hat this Saturday, March 25th. Sign up for the sweepstakes at Mets.com slash amazing day for your chance to throw the first pitch at a game and get a complete VIP experience. John, can you give us a little bit more here on amazing day? Absolutely. So you throw on your Mets hat this Saturday, the 25th, and you will unlock keys to the city all over New York City. Um, I will personally be at the Brooklyn Museum from 10 to 11.30 a.m. So come by and say hi. There will be merch. You will be able to sign up for a chance for incredible game day experiences, including throwing out the first pitch at a game. I really can't think of a better one. By the way, if you guys throw out the first pitch between the two of you, who's throwing a strike? Who's throwing the better strike? Mark or James? I am for sure. (laughs) I think I'd be fine. I think Mark would probably be more likely James to get a strike. Guy. I think James I would definitely get a strike. Guy. Oh, but I can't pitch. I just, I just understand <laughs> okay. it better. I mean, I'm very confident I would throw a strike. Yeah, I'm confident I'd throw a strike too, even with my bum shoulder. But you, you got yeah. to get the cortisone shot there, get the adrenaline going, and we'll be fine to throw out a first pitch ever given the opportunity. Yeah, very oh, ready you. and waiting. Oh, available opening day. Available both Subway Series games. Available well, for all six of those games. Well, available well. when we play the Tigers. I mean, whatever they there want to do. Go. There, there you go. There you go. No, I'm, re- I'm, ready, I'm ready for all Ready for all eighty. In one of the World <laughs> Series, if you need me, let me know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I was saying, the key to the city, like James is doing right now, wear your Mets hat on March 25th because you never know what Mets representatives, who's going to see you, and what sort of awesome, fun prizes that you can wear. But that's the key. You wear your Mets hat. You could unlock all these great experiences both on the day and down the road. There'll be pop-up shops around the city where you can buy incredible uh, exclusive Mets merch. There'll be community events all around New York city, chance to win event tickets. It's going to be a great day. Mets fans are the best fans in, in the world in all of sports. And this is the day to show your Mets pride as we get ready. It's going to be five days from opening day. Think about that. And five days five from days. amazing day, we'll be playing games that count. We're what? Like 10 days, 11 11- 10, 11 days 11 from opening days. day, right? That's crazy. If you include that. today, 11, but um, I mean, it's it's right around the corner. It's crazy how it sneaks up on you. But I mean, I said this last episode and uh, the NCAA tournament did me bad. So <laughs> now I'll say it's really the best time of year as opening day is right around the corner and there's nothing better. The weather's starting to creep into the 50s and get a little nice. Ooh. You know, you can sit outside, wear a sweatshirt. Enjoy uh, whatever beverage it is you're looking to have. And doesn't get any better than that. So amazing day. Be there March 25th. Show your Mets pride. You never know who will be there and what amazing day has in store for you. There you go, guys. Amazing day. That's going to be the end of the Mets Sub Podcast, episode number 176. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you do enjoy what you're listening to or watching here, make sure you follow us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter. Instagram and TikTok. I'm sure we're going to be running some giveaways and stuff, so you're going to want to follow us over there. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube video, New York Mets YouTube channel, and if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, download, subscribe, drop us a rate, drop us a review. I want some reviews for the 2023 year. Drop one. We'll shout you out on the next episode. If you give us a good one, obviously, you give us a bad one, we're not shouting you out, but give us a good review because we're great. And uh, follow James on Twitter at 
James underscore Shiano. Follow me at Giraffe Mark. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching, and we'll catch you uh, Wednesday for the David Peterson and Tyler McGill interviews. Peace out.